This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. I'm Nico. And I'm Gary Luisi. And we're talking about your novel, Mars Needs Books, with an exclamation point at the end. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> so... We talked about this uh, on the podcast a, l- a long time ago when we were looking at new uh, audiobook releases, and I just uh, I just fell in love with the description. I thought, oh my god, this, this is awesome! Uh, and we and I think I said so on the podcast. And then Mirko, you you uh, actually read it. Yes, I just and, uh, went, I just went to um, Audible and straight downloaded it. <laughs> Well, let me read the description, and maybe everyone else will fall in love with it, too, because I I think it just sounds like the perfect book. It says, In the not-so-distant future, men have come to Mars to escape the oppressive Earth government. Ryan is an agent for a super-secret government agency, the Department of Control, and has been willing to do whatever his masters want of him. But on Mars, everything is different, and all that Ryan does is read books. Hard-boiled noir crime paperbacks dating back from the last century. In fact, such works are and collected by everyone on Mars, even serving as a medium of exchange. Why? Is there some secret DOC plot involved, or has Ryan conjured up a literary fantasy in his own guilt-twisted mind? Maybe he's still confined in a prison cell back on Earth, reading a science fiction novel called Mars Needs Books. As Ryan probes deeper and deeper into the mystery, he comes to understand just one thing. He must uncover the truth. And th- This is so such an awesome mix of everything, right? It's a prison novel. It's a um, uh, science fiction novel. It's a book collector's novel, and it's a <laughs> Philip K. Dick style memory erasure uh, story. The only thing so, I didn't throw in was the kitchen sink. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. There's, I don't. Yeah, I don't think anybody eats very much in this book, but they sure do talk about books a lot. Well, that's a pin of mine. So uh, I included that into the story. Um, there's a lot of things going on in the book, and there's a lot, a lot of uh, inspiration. Obviously, Philip K. Dick, uh, the reality dysfunction that he put in a lot of his uh, books and stories. Um, it is a little bit of a tip of the hat to the man in the high castle, where the, he's reading a, a. He's not sure if he's reading a book, always needs books, or if he's living it, or what. Mm-hmm. And also, there's a bit of uh, Orwell's 1984 with the yeah. really oppressive Earth government that basically, through uh, use of computer technology that's way advanced than anything we have now, controls everything. They control your thoughts. They uh, use all kinds of software and entertainment media to control your mind and all of this is changed on a daily basis, basically, to whatever the government or the authority, worldwide authority, wants to, uh, you know, to... Uh, However they want to... Have you believe, and he believes it. Yeah, in uh, comics, that's called retconning, going back and, you know, ma- uh, retroactive continuity, making everything fit together. It's, it's basically what Stalin did, right? When, when he, he has a somebody in his history who's he's now put into the gulag he just airbrushes him out of the picture but right. in this case yeah. you've actually come up with i think a really interesting science fiction idea that nobody else has done so far that i'm aware of which is saying you know if we do have one big digital database and we don't have any uh paper records anymore we will no longer be able to be sure that what we read last month in that book wasn't there because it won't be there anymore. It it this is the way Amazon works with its ebook readers, right? Uh, you right. buy a ebook, but they still control the book. Yeah. They go in and remove it from your device, or go in and change it if they wanted to. Now right. that might be good for you know fixing they commas. the content. Yeah. yeah. If there's a right. and if there's a word here or there that's offensive. They, uh, they take it out. Um, right. Now, that can be innocent, like um, 
in in Mark Twain um, Mark Twain's um, uh, I can't even think of the word the name. Um, yeah, last year they did it was some school district. One of the one school, a racial a racial term, and right. now that was taken out because it's offensive, and that's and that I, I understand that I don't think it should be done, but I understand that. But then what about if you take out other terms? Once you start taking terms out of out of books, what if you take out freedom? You know, yeah. we don't like well, that word. You know, yeah, and, and also freedom to offend that's, people. So there's, you know, there's, whenever you do things like that, you know, that's a slippery slope, and it's, it, it happens in society all today. Uh, sometimes it's innocent, sometimes it's not innocent, but, you know, I, in, in the book, what I, what I do is I, I posit a world, the a worldwide government controls everything and everybody, and they have, you know, people don't know the difference anymore. And there's some, some things I put in there that the, the people on earth really don't like to read anymore, and they are scared of books because books have ideas in them that make them uncomfortable. And that's really scary to me that when people, you know, when the debate is shut down and when people are fearful of ideas instead of talking them out and saying, oh, I see your idea, but that's crazy, you know, and this is why. And you have a, you know, a discussion about it. But when the debates close down and when people are scared to discuss things, that, that's, to me, that's very scary. And that's where, you know, you can have this kind of totalitarian society come in. And that's part of the, you know, that's the backdrop of the book. And then other things, you have a guy like Simon who runs the Department of Control. He's kind of like a J. Edgar Hoover character, in my opinion, a guy who, who runs a super secret organization for, for almost forever. He's been there since anybody can remember, and he's kind of a legend. Nobody knows who he is or anything, and he's just doing his thing. And little by little... You make him incredibly evil. He's, he is the mo- maybe the most evil character ever in a book. <laughs> well, I think... Child molester. He, he yeah. goes inside people's minds and removes removes their 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 everything and reprograms them. And yeah, uh, and he might be you know manipulating every single plot point in the book. If 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 you read the book one way, it's it, he's pretty awful. I think that's putting it mildly. Yeah. He's a uh, he's a, a truly uh, evil person. He's a uh, he he's not like a. De- He's like a like the all-knowing, all-powerful bureaucrat who, behind the scenes, manipulates everybody. And you may have a president or a premier or a prime minister, but he's the person that they listen to, and he's the person that tells them what to do and how to run their country or their sector of the world, whatever. In, in the book, so there's that. That's a that's a you know very harsh backdrop, and then there's. People want to escape that. There's a few oddballs here and there, individualists, you know, I call them. <clears throat> and there's, there's people that do read books and secretly. And um, then he sets up this kind of, um, I guess you call it a, a straw man uh, enclave on Mars. Takes all the, mm-hmm. the dissidents and puts them in basically like a gulag. And he uses Morris as that kind of gulag, and he says, "Let them, let them go out there. Let them take their bully thing, and you know they'll be a threat, and they'll be something that's used as to for for Earth people to fear, and people fear the men, the people from Morris, these these pioneers, and, and someone to hate too, right? So, yeah. So one of the one of the ways of keeping the the population in control is to send, you know, to punish them by sending them away, but also to give them a group to hate so that right. when there is a threat, you can always say, oh, what about this mar- threat on Mars? You know, right. They are going to attack us. They're going to uh, not send the maybe raw materials that they're mining because they're all miners out there and, and they're sending back uh, materials for, that Earth needs. So it's kind of like the moon is a harsh mistress in a way. It, the way yeah, I, maybe I've read a little bit. Well, you mentioned Heinlein a couple of times. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Uh, I mean, that's that's one of the fun parts of the book is just trying to figure out what parts of the book are sort of an homage to other other books. And the thing is, is the plot is I 
don't think exactly like any other book, but there's sort of sections where, oh, you say, oh, this is very Heinleinian, or this is very Philip K. Dickian, or something like that. I, I, was, I was racking my brain trying to figure out exactly what the prison section was sort of connected to. Well, he, um, Ryan was an agent for the department, and he was a person who did all their. He was the. Uh, he was. He describes himself as the um, odd jobs guy. He's basically uh, for all dirty work. Any dirty work that needs to be done, and you see it in, in when he when he's put in prison, a, a, a prison of of uh, violent criminals who are some of the worst of humanity, but also they have just regular criminals, regular prisoners, and a lot of political people. They just want to get rid of them all. And so the best way to do it is to have them, you know, uh, take over the prison so that you have to send the um, police in and kill them all. And that's exactly what happens. And Ryan is the person who's doing the dirty deed. He sets up a whole... Uh, revolutionary committee of you know to make the prisoners buy into it and they work together and they're uh, and and they're all being manipulated and it's it's it's, it's a little reminiscent of what happened in Attica in upstate right okay that, yeah it's more um, historical than that um, right and, he, and, and then has them basically they declare themselves an independent country they they uh, you know have their own flag, and they say, you know, we want transportation to another place, and then they talk to the governor, and the governor says, well, you're out of your mind. <laughs> sure, we'll give you whatever we want, whatever you want, and they send the troops in, and they kill them all. He did his job, and he's done other jobs like that, and he mentions that, and he mentions uh, uh, a friend of his that, that, that he uh, worked with also in that, in that sequence. So you see what kind of person he is, what he's been involved in, and uh, and then he's sent to Mars after he disposes of uh, Simon's body, as uh, Arabella has him uh, has him do. But his mind is is altered again. It's always and, altered. Yeah, it's always being altered, and even yeah. So that's a character we haven't mentioned before. Is uh, is Arabella? What's her name? Last Arabella name again? Rashid, right? Arabella Rashid is, is I guess not just a love interest character. She is a femme fatale character. She's also the replacement for Simon. Uh, her Simon's, I guess, um, uh, apprentice. But also the, she, right. she murders him. Yes, she was one of the children that he was grooming. There were others that uh, Michael is the one that. It ends up taking over eventually, but she she does take over for for a time period, and uh, she's she hates him. She hates what he's done to her, and how he used her. And she does get her revenge. She wants to get her revenge the best way possible, not not by killing him, which she does. She wants to stop what he's done and, and turn it around and, and and make things better. But she doesn't know how to do it, and she's not sure that her mind's been manipulated and her memories have been implanted or memories have been implanted, but she doesn't know. and She's not sure what's going on. Um, there's a, there's a scene where she goes to where, where, um, uh, one of her, uh, one of her associates tells her that, you know, you could just have gone and did everything. You could have went to sleep and woke up the next day and totally be a, a, a new and different person. And, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing is, is kind of scary that, you know, the imp you, you could have been implanted with memories and protocols that would kick in at a certain time. And all of a sudden you go to sleep one night and you're a different person and now you're doing Simon's bit. And he was that. Yeah. Yes. There's a, there's this. Uh, it's not just memories that are implanted, though. It's also like motivation. So you can suddenly want to do something you can suddenly be disposed in a certain direction so it's 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 even more insidious than you know you have a memory of being an asshole you also can have a memory of being 
uh, uh, an asshole and still want to be an asshole in the future, even though the day before you were a nice guy. Right. right? It's, it's, um, that's the Philip K. Dick. I, t- I try to take a little bit, a, a little fun ways and, you know, and, 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 and all the, all the entertainment media, people plugging into their heads, you know, uh, different games and, uh, news and then all kinds of things which are all manipulated all changed all have uh uh secret messages in it uh secret pro- protocols different things so that you don't really know what you're getting in this uh you don't know what the truth is and when you when you don't when you can't tell what the truth is anymore then it's very easy for uh a dictatorship you know to uh to to control people, and that's what the Department of Control does. They, they control every, they control everybody and everything. Uh, I was tempted to think of um, this not so much as a science fiction book, you know, as more of a just an allegory for our times. Um, I, the the way that the the non plot structure of the book works is there's a lot of people talking about how much they love paperbacks, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would say about half the book is spent talking about uh, different books, specifically uh, authors or book series or the, you know, the motivations of characters in these books. And uh, for me, I, I, I consider myself, you know, fairly well read in the crime and noir hard boiled uh, department, but I didn't recognize a lot of these names. I, I know your, uh, your other job is to uh, basically work with these old, uh, books every day, right? Yeah, well, I've, I'm a paperback reader and collector. I've been reading this stuff since I was 12. Science fiction at, at first, and, and then hard-boiled crime. And I've actually uh, been privileged to meet a lot of the authors. I've interviewed some of them in my magazine, Paperback Parade, which is a book mm-hmm. collector's magazine. I also publish a magazine called Hard-Boiled, which is hard crime fiction. And under my Gryphon Books imprint, I've published... Uh, until recently, a lot of crime, uh, lost crime fiction and lost science fiction classics. Um, I also do a book show each year where I have some of these people as guests, uh, authors and artists. And so I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of them. I've read the, their books. I've seen the original cover art. In some cases, I own some of it, some of these books. And that's ingrained in me. Uh, that's a, a love that... Uh, that, that I like, but I put it in the, in the book because I wanted to, there was a dichotomy between science fiction and hard boiled crime and, mm-hmm. uh, and reading science fiction from when I was 12 in the sixties and all the books telling you what it would be like in 1990 the year 2009 or 2001, those magic dates, or even 1984. And then when, you know, Mm -hmm. we we lived and we've passed all those dates. Now we're in 2013 and we're past all that. 1984 was 25 years ago. There were really, most of the science fiction writers were really wrong on a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, they they expect us to be flying around in hovercraft, having, you know, Going to, to the stars, yeah. And we've, going away to Andromeda and Star Trek and you know, you know, all of this, you know, the Federation of Planets, you know. I don't even know if we we're gonna ever go back to the moon, you know, the way no. things are going. But so science fiction had a lot of things wrong. And in the book, these guys on Mars, first of all, they're coming from Earth, which is a horrible, totalitarian, oppressive world. And they're coming out to Mars, which is a brutal dangerous, horrible place to work, but at least they're free. And science fiction doesn't do it for them. What does it for them is hard-boiled crime, noir, privatized stories, these tales about rugged individuals fighting against a corrupt system, against the crooked cops or the, the mob or whatever. These are the stories that really sing into their heart and into their soul. Also, though, they've been programmed to collect these books. Yeah. In the book in the, in the beginning where 
they actually, the Department of Control and Simon and Arabella Rashid, all of them have taken these people and put them on the planet and they've, you know, made them have a strict aversion toward the new technology and a love of the old, the written word, hard copy. It's, it's, it's I, 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 there's one part where I, I really like where, she, where she's in the hotel, she puts on the screen and there's no screen and she says something's wrong, you know, something's wrong mm. with my, my video screen. She says, well, we just don't run any programs here. We, we don't have any, you know, any of that. She says, what do you mean? <laughs> you, know? Mm-hmm. you know, we don't have any plugins. We don't have any of those things. She goes, what? You know, it's like, you know. And yeah, she, telephone is just a telephone. It's not a, it's not yeah. a, uh. Uh, an iPad or something like right. that. They have computers and they have, you know, uh, machines, but they're not uh, embedded into your into your mind. They're not the kind of things that um, that, that can control you in any way. We we you know humans control machines. The machines do not control people or influence people. And when you have that kind of machine, it's very easy for the wrong people to influence influence people in bad ways. So I think that's 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 a lot of it too. There's a lot of things in this book. Absolutely, Mirko. I'm sure you have something to say by now. I've been dominating the conversation here. Yes. Um. The thing is, as you said, that um, former SF writers were wrong in the stuff they predicted for the future, like the times we've passed. And uh, I think the 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 stuff they would talking about as a metaphor still works like if you look at philip k dick novels for instance mm. that that the stuff of course uh, 1990 is, is over and uh, all the years that he um, states in his in his books but still the things that reality is controlled or can be changed or can be manipulated is still um up to date right so yeah. so this this doesn't uh, it didn't last its 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 um well, it, uh, um, it, it, it works on, yeah, Sorry? it works. This, this novel works in the exact same way yes. that regular good science fiction novels work, right? This isn't not a, this is not a prediction of what's going to happen in the next, uh, oh, wait, we're already in the next sen, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the next century. Um, it's a allegory about today and right. how I think people are, uh, you know, one of the things you were saying is people don't know how to read anymore in the book. Yeah, and they're scared of books. They're scared of of, of, of reading. You know, yeah. And it's it's work. I mean, why would you why would you read a book when you can just, you know, slip a chip into the back of your head or watch a, a video or whatever it is or, you know, and uh, you know why would you do that? It's a lot of it's a lot. Watch the YouTube video. Yeah. yeah. And. <laughs> The book isn't isn't against science fiction. It just kind of criticizes it a little bit because obviously it owes a lot to Philip K. Dick and it owes a lot to Orwell's '84. And I do mention, with respect, some science fiction writers and some science fiction books, Heinlein and others. Um, but the people on Mars are also programmed to read these crime books. And to uh, it, it kind of gives them a, a, a individual individuality and independence that they might not have had, I think. Uh, I, I, then you know, uh, if it was science fiction, it, 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 it puts a different slant on things. I am um, I'm a big fan of both science fiction and and the uh, hard boiled noir detective thing and i i've tried to figure out how to reconcile those two uh things that sort of don't seem like they go together um and one way i was looking at it is well i just like good writing um and to me good writing is not about um people having a domestic spat and uh i don't know going uh you know Basically, mainstream books. I, I don't know what mainstream books are about, but whatever that is, I don't like them. They yeah. they don't do it for me. Uh, crime books are full of drama. Uh, noir books uh, have a message. Hard-boiled books are full of uh, 
drama, and they sort of allow you to see realistic ways of of interacting with the world, and and not you know modeling yourself on that necessarily, but allowing you to uh, think about how that that is, and and what you know you it really engages your mind, um, and you know it can be just really amazing fun reading too. I, I'm not sure I learned a lot from uh, from Richard Stark's Parker books, uh, but I sure had a good ride, and I love visiting that world. Yeah, yeah. They're fun, aren't they? Yeah, amazingly fun. And I don't like series books. I'm not a fan of them. Um, but, you know, when you get a really good writer, and he's, got, he's really cooking, um, it can work. Yeah, yeah. And as long as it gives you ideas to think about, it's very pretty important. Yeah, I mean uh, that's the thing is, is after reading a, a really great book, I I have to talk to somebody about. It. I have to say, man, there's this amazing thing that happens in this book, and 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 talk about, you know, I don't know how, you know, I never saw that coming, and and I say, <laughs> yeah, it makes total sense, and wow, that's it's just the. Uh, so you're you're in, a, in a pretty good position because I don't have anybody over here in Germany. <laughs> who, who really uh, has read Gary's book, and this is this makes me kind of sad because I think. Well, I'm the only person I know who's read it is you, and uh, oh, and you. I guess uh, Gary wrote it, so he must know what it's about. So we're yeah, the big three. We're um, gonna get the word out. <laughs> we're gonna get the word out. This this podcast hopefully will help people know it exists, and uh, so it's up on Audible. Um, and yeah. that's not the only book that you've got on Audible. Uh, you pointed out. Uh, there's uh, Gargoyle Nights, a collection of horror, which you were telling us before the podcast about. Can you say what you said again? Yeah, that's uh, three interconnected stories, and it's uh, it's a kind of an homage to H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, Clark Ashton Smith, and Jack Vance. Their horror fantasy fiction, uh, a a wizard and Earth's last city at the edge of the world when 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 the just before the the, the great dark is coming to devour the the last dregs of the planet uh, <laughs> creates this monstrous gargoyle to uh, rule over the hall of the dead and to keep it uh, give it give him eternal life but from that point on everything goes wrong <laughs> and uh, the gargoyle kind of does what it wants. And it's a story of this gargoyle through time. Uh, there's there's aliens that come to the planet and then take the gargoyle to their planet, and they have more problems. <laughs> so it's it's only ninety minutes long. This is uh, three stories, you said. Yeah, three interconnected stories. Short, so three short stories, one book. That's my favorite length. is nice and short. I mean, this one is only seven hours forty eight minutes. That's incredibly short for a novel these days. Um, but I like novels of about that length. I like novels that are four hours or, or you know, two hundred pages, not two hundred ninety nine pages. You know, I love short books because they really they pack a punch. Well, I, you're I, not sort of dragging yourself around through them. Don't waste, don't waste your time. I, I write exactly. short and quick. I try to write to the point. Uh, I don't like a lot of extraneous material in in the books. Um, people like Stephen King have been been said that they pad out a little bit. Patrick O'Brien is a, is a writer of historical fiction, who nuances every detail of shipboard life and in, in, in the 18th century. Uh, I come more out of the pulp tradition, which is action adventure and also the science fiction pulp tradition which is sometimes action adventure but it's also ideas science mm -hmm. fiction pulp stories were all about ideas yeah uh, mm -hmm. great magnificent mind-blowing ideas and some of them were written by people who were not great stylists and they you know sometimes they were just uh, adequate writers but the ideas were, were wonderful and the ideas yep. were were expanded upon by by other writers and better writers and over the years and uh you know that's 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 what i like i, I also like to read the old paperbacks that were if you remember them from the from the 60s 50s 60s and 70s when they were 
150, 160 pages. And that's yeah. all you needed. You didn't need 500 pages to tell a story. Definitely. 120 pages and 250 pages. And it's like, wow, that's great. That's it. And yeah. then, yeah. And I, I just get the experience as a, I'm, I'm a bookseller, as you know, and people want to have thick books with 400 plus pages. And I just don't understand them because if you have a novel like uh, Jared Donovan's um, Winter in Maine, it's about 200 pages and it's so intense. It's, everything is in there. Yeah. Very good book. It doesn't, does not need 400 pages. As long as he's a good stylist, so you want to have more of it. But yeah. You have to see that after 200 pages, everything is said and everything is done. And that's, that's fine. That's fine with me. But my customers want, more, want bigger books for their money. But I don't yeah, that's why they are bigger. I, I, <laughs> I think you know, is, is that the market has pushed people to that. But I think we're looking at a different readership now today than we were in, in that period of time generally. Um, I, I one of one of the most interesting experiences I ever had was, um, I mean, this whole book is about basically it's it's what what my dreams are about. I mean, that opening the boxes of crates full of books and looking through. I mean, I wouldn't trade that experience. That's those are the highlights of my <laughs> life is opening a big crate or a box or a bookshelf or something and saying, yeah. hey, what can I have out of here, right? What can I find in here? That what what treasures are to be found in here? And uh, when I, you know, when I picked up James M. Cain's uh, Postman Always Rings Twice, which is, it's so thin. The novel is so thin. It doesn't, it, do, it looks like from the front, it looks like a, you know, regular paperback. But then you turn it to the, to the right and it looks like an excerpt or something. It's, it's it maybe a hundred pages or something ridiculously short. And then when you read it, it's like but he doesn't waste the work. There's not one such. Oh work. my God! It's so packed. It's it's yeah. everything means everything does work. There's no wasted any. Yeah. Not a you know. There's no nothing that isn't adding to the story. And so when you get to you get through it, it's like just a an experience. It's a roller coaster of a book, and that changed the way I wanted to read books. I didn't want to read you know, the trilogies anymore. I wanted to read more like that. And, you know, mo granted, most authors aren't quite as, um, you know, uh, uh, concise as him. Uh, but, uh, you know, you can pick up um, a 200-page Lawrence Block book, uh, you know, written in the 60s or the 70s, and and get a similar experience. Is, Lawrence Block is a terrific writer. I mean, he's Absolutely. Just amazing. He's scary good. <laughs> he, he he's he's um, uh, Westlake and Block. I was th thinking those are the two guys who uh, they they wrote so much. And so Donald once Westlake, you, yeah. oh yeah, you get into you get into either one of those guys, you can just keep keep finding things to read. So even if they are standalone books, which both of those guys wrote series as well, but. Yeah. Even if you just read their standalones, you can have that depth of experience that you could get in a series just by reading a bunch of books that are all standalones by those guys and amazing writers. And uh, uh, one of the the way I found um, Westlake was by reading Block. Block had uh, Westlake's uh, uh, Block had his bookseller character reading a a Westlake book. <laughs> <laughs> and he excerpted part of it, and and the and the uh, the character was saying, "Damn, that's good writing." <laughs> and I said, "Damn, that's good writing." And I wanted to know. Uh, I wonder, is that a real book? <laughs> Turns out it was. Marco, you read any block? Yes, a couple of stories, and of course, Psycho. If you mean Robert Block, right? No, no, no. no uh, Lawrence. Robert. Pardon? Lawrence Block. No, no. Uh, just, just don't know. Actually, oh, you got to find. Uh, uh, what's a good place to start with uh, Lawrence Block, Gary? Uh, the Matt Scudder books. Yeah, Matt Scudder's good. Uh, Eight million ways to die seems to be the most popular. I, I like his. Uh, I have a lot of his early uh, short stories that he wrote for the Digest magazines in the fifties. Oh, I love those. They're they're really raw pulp stuff, and they're great. 
the the there's a collection uh, or seven of of those but yeah um uh, i guess they were written for alfred hitchcock and ellery queen sort of thing well Is that right not those but they the, those type of magazines they were they were a lot more uh hard-boiled and these kind of magazines actually one of them was called offbeat trapped guilty uh you know those kind of magazines they were a little, even lower market than uh Ellery Queen and uh, and Alfred Hitchcock, they were were uh, not politically correct. They had really wild, wild, uh, violent cover art and wild crime stories in, in them that uh, Ellery Queen and uh, Hitchcock and you know would never even dream of publishing. <laughs> so these there's are some, some there's real a, stuff. Those- those short stories are incredible. There's uh, there's some of them like one one's called a pair of recycled jeans. I remember. <laughs> uh, you know that story? Uh, not uh, that particular one, but yeah. Uh, well, it's about a, a guy's driving down the highway and he picks up a hitchhiker, and uh, the hitchhiker's uh, says, "Hey, those are nice jeans," uh, to the driver, and the driver says, "Oh yeah." Um, uh, they're recycled, you know. They're they're broken in. And she said, "Oh wow, where can I get those?" And he said, "Well, um, there's just seems to be a lot of stores that sell them these days." And, uh, and the, they drive down the road some more. And then the the uh, writer says, "You know, or not the writer. The uh, uh, driver says, you know, um, those are pretty nice jeans yourself. They look like they're just about worn in.'" <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> the passenger says, "Yeah, yeah." I have just they're just in the perfect shape right now and and they drive down the road some more and then and then the passenger says, "Hey, uh we're not on the highway anymore. What happened?" He says, "Ah, we're headed to the dog food factory." <laughs> <laughs> End of the story. It's like, "Oh, I got it now." It's like just perfect a hor- little horrible twist. Uh he's just a master yeah. of the short story. I wish I wish people would would buy more of those instead of the uh, the series books. I mean, they're fun, but they're just not the same. I don't know if uh, he's he's he, I don't think he writes short stories anymore. Occasionally, I think for an anthology, once in a while, but mostly, yeah, mostly novels. I mean, uh, Larry Block and Westlake and uh, Evan Hunter and some of these other guys, Arlen Ellison, even they all wrote. Um, for the soft core adult market in the late fifties, early sixties, also, they wrote Silverberg. Yeah, they wrote kind of sexy sleaze books. Um, with uh, some of them were mixed with crime, and even those are being republished. Robert Silverberg also, they're being mm-hmm. republished now, and it's in yeah, rediscovered in, in in the Mars Needs books. And it is it is truly amazing that they have. We had Charles Arde on uh, on the podcast a while ago, and it's amazing that he he found a lot of the people who worked on those books, and they're still writing. Yeah, they just not sell. Yeah, and now they're selling again. Yeah, and it's a beautiful of, series of books. Oh, it's a stunning, stunning book series. Talking of uh, book collectors, I'd like to recommend another audiobook that I'm listening to uh, also sure. by Gary Luisi. <laughs> oh, it's Murder of a Bookman. Oh, is, this is, uh, looking at that, is that, it's a book one, is it it's a... a book one, yes. A and series we, of novellas? We have the chance to ask the author. Well, that, that's, that's a novel that I wrote. Uh, it's the first Bentley Hollow. He's a uh, uh, detective, and uh, he's on a case... Uh, a uh, rare book dealer has been murdered, and he um, he's saddled with a partner that he can't stand. He's having problems with his wife who, who left him for a doctor. He's uh, all screwed up and trying to solve this case and getting in deeper and deeper in the world of books, which he finds the book books and rare books and book collecting and book dealers. And he's finding out how crazy they all are, and it's just, you know, just a strange world for him. But he actually kind of likes it. And um, there's a lot in there about uh, 
about books and book collecting and, and, and the kind of people that are in the hobby and in the business and um, certain books, what, you know, what to look for as far as uh, value and why certain books are worth so much money. And they talk, there's a lot of book talk. It's a biblio mystery. And mm-hmm. There's also uh, you know, murder. So there's, uh, uh, he's, he's searching for the murderer and it's uh, somebody you don't, I, I, everybody that's read the book told me they never thought, you know, they always thought it was this person, that person, somebody else. But a lot of, there's a lot of suspects and nobody could ever figure out who did it. And when they find out, it's kind of a shock. And, uh, Is that set in New York? <laughs> so that's the first Bentley Hollow book. There's, there's probably going to be more. I've, I've written two short stories. Um, of Bentley Hollow, he 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 uh, deals with collect collectibles. Um, one of them is uh, the Fenton Art Glass Murder short story, where uh, it's collectible glassware, which from the 50s, which is uh, very expensive and and people collect. And uh, he involved in a murder case there. And then there's uh, Ruba Rombic Mystery, which is going to come out, I think, in Sherlock Holmes Mystery Magazine here. Uh, later in the year, and that's cool. a really bizarre group of glassware that is, uh, it's it's geometric patterns, very strange, from the 30s, and um, it was universally ugly, never sold, but now it's like rare and very popular amongst uh, certain collectors, very expensive, and uh, this, this, he's trying to find out who stole uh, this couple's, wealthy couple's collection of this rhubarambic glassware. And uh, that's, the, that's the Bentley Hollow. So far, I think that I think the next book, I'm going to have his wife come back and ask him to help her on a case. And he's not too happy because she left him for a doctor, but then the doctor left her. So she's <laughs> kind of out in the, flowing in the wind, and now she's coming back to him, and he's kind of you know, not too happy about it, but there's some some weird things going on, and he's got to get involved with them. Now he's retired from the police, and uh, he's involved with that. And that's, I think that's going to be the next book, which I'm going to start working on pretty soon. What I liked about the, Murder of a Bookman is the dialogue is very cool. And uh, the reader, uh, narrator, uh, Ulf Bjorklund, I guess is saying his name, uh-huh. He's pretty good in changing voices and uh, putting tension in it. It's pretty good read. I really love the love this audiobook, and I recommend it to every book collector and uh, crime fiction lover <laughs> all around. That sounds like it's, it's good. Very good. I'm going to have to good. sign up. I really what, love what, what's the story on D- uh, Driving Hell's Highway? That's also on Audible. Yeah, um, that's a road novel, uh, very dark noir. Um, little, a little bit Philip K. Dick reality twist in that too because he's uh, is a guy who's on the highway and he's driving he doesn't know where he's going he doesn't know where he's been he doesn't have too many memories of the past either because he doesn't want to remember them because they're too horrible mm-hmm. or he can't and uh, he's, he's a tough guy he's a dangerous guy he's meeting all kinds of strange people and dangerous people and uh, getting involved in weird situations on the road and uh, eventually it just all kinds of comes together in one big explosion so oh. it's a while <laughs> so while that, that should remind Mirko of uh, that hellbound train that uh, Robert yeah. Bloch story yeah it's kind of it's... like a hellbound train out of control yeah, he doesn't realize then, that, he doesn't realize it in the beginning. As things go on and on, he starts getting more and more crazy and weird, and 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 uh, and he decides to uh, to fix some things that he thinks are broken, but he's not quite sure what's what. And it's uh, it's very strange. I think it's a very weird. It's a very noir kind of kind of story very violent brutal um and i love it and that's, that's a lot of that is what i what i see and what i uh 
you know, in in the world. And so it's uh, I put these things in in, in the stories. The, the, you, you mentioned it's it's noir. This is something I I are, are, have argued for a long time, but I haven't had anybody to argue with. So I, I wanted to see if if you uh, you agree with me. Um, I believe that noir can't have sequels. Uh, but well, hard boiled can. What do you think? Well, because at the end, <laughs> noir everybody's dead. Or yeah, I think it can have sequels, but not with the same people. Right. <laughs> Or, right, or yeah. Not, not the not the main person, you know. Um, yeah. Or I, at least so but, you, the person is broken at the end, even right. if they're not dead. The thing, I mean, uh, driving hell's highway is a noir where the guy at the beginning is broken. So right. He, he, yeah, they're broken at the beginning, starts, and he starts off a, a total mess and broken, and for, goes downhill from there. And right. that's where a lot of you know my my stories. Come in. I have another hero, uh, a hero, uh, um, uh, Vic Powers, who's a uh, ex-cop who's thrown off the, the police. And uh, I've written a bunch of stories about him in one in one novel, Blood in Brooklyn. And uh, um, Borgo Press just did a uh, a book of uh, three of his stories. It's called Violence Is the Only Solution. Nice, nice, nice title. Um, yeah. And uh, the other two stories are uh, Black Vomit and Dog Snow. And those are three oh, stories that uh, take Vic Powers. He's a guy that uh, is just a dysfunctional human being. He he was on the on the he was a cop only because his partner, uh, really, who was a great guy, was um, you know helped him out in every way and he otherwise he would have never made it and then his his cop uh, best buddy partners is murdered by a cop killer and he goes totally off the rails but he was off the rails to begin with now he's like totally whacked out and all the stories it's like it's just his life uh, he becomes a kind of a private private eye um, but not licensed or anything he just does mm-hmm. Again, odd jobs. He's kind of like a uh, a contemporary version of, of Ryan from Mars Needs Books. He's a guy mm. that does all these jobs, these dirty jobs, and some of them, you know, you, he, he's hurting really bad people. And so you say, in the moral equivalency, maybe he's doing a good thing. And but then mm. sometimes he does some things that aren't so nice. You know, he uh, the one thing that he always regrets is he murdered a a, a guy's wife. Uh, the guy was a really bad guy and deserved what he got, but his wife was in the way and he killed her and he's always regretted that. And he's always felt that since then he's, he's damned because he killed an innocent person. And that's something that his code, you, you should never do. So you, these are hard boiled. Right? They're hard boiled books rather than uh, more books, right? Very, very hard boiled. So uh, yeah, hard boiled is like, basically it's, uh, Looking at the world in a in the most sort of sad and cynical and depressing way, um, and noir is the exact same way, exact same thing except um, there's no hope. Yeah, but there's also uh, it, it, hard boiled. Is also this takes in revenge. Hmm. It, that's a that's a that's a big aspect of it. It's it's betrayal, uh, and then of course you get your revenge. Uh, all of these things mix. In a in a soup, which I which I add into the soup, a kind of a personality disorder, a uh, dysfunctionality of the of the person to begin with, so that maybe he's not thinking so straight. And in one of the stories, in Dogs Know, when his partner is killed uh, by the the cop killer, Vic, you know, goes off the rails and finds the killer, and so he brings he brings the, the guy back to. Um, Larry's house to his wife and children, his wife and kids. She, he has, I think, four boys and the wife, and he chains the guy in the backyard and says, here, here he is for you. You can you know, do what you want with him. Rip him up, tear him to pieces. And when you finish with him, I'll take the body and I'll dump it. And the, the, 
the wife goes crazy. She says, what are you doing? She says, I don't want my, my, my boys to do that. She's like, and, and, she, and she hates him because he, he, you know, what he, what he's, the situation he put her in, she can't control her sons. Her sons are want to get out there and, and kill the son of a bitch. And, um, finally the right thing prevails and Vic takes the guy away. I'm not going to tell you what happens, but it's uh, it's it's a tough story, and uh, you know. are these going to come to Audible? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a wild side uh, Borgo Press book, so maybe it will. Yeah, because uh, you know, I, I just think it's great that uh, that you know suddenly a uh, very independent books like yours and many other people are showing up on Audible. Before it was. It was, you know, it was just from the major audiobook publishers, but now Audible's doing their own, their own, um, you know, it says published by Audible, so they have some way of, you know, making a deal with the, I guess, publishers to bring these to us. I think it's great. Yeah, I mean, I've been writing a long time, and uh, I've gotten better, I've learned a lot, but also uh, I, I write the kind of stuff that I like to read, and mm-hmm. I, I like what I write. And, um, you know, the publishers today and in the past, you know, I'm, I'm never going to be like a bestseller. I don't think I'm going to ever have, you know, a million sales or be on the New York Times bestseller list. No. That would all be nice and everything. But really, I couldn't give a damn. Okay. Well, they can, they, they yeah, can take it and shove it. Because yeah, if, if you want to write to the market, you're going to be writing some crap. I'm sorry I don't, to hey, tell you. Know, to me, what, what means something is like, like you two guys... Red Mars needs books, and Mirko's reading Murder of a Bookman, and you or, or you know listening to it on audio, and you both you know have some enjoyment out of what I've written. That's what means you know that's what means to me. Doesn't mean that, you know any the New York Times or anything like you know what 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 they do. I couldn't care less. What means it is like people that that have read my books, read my Sherlock Holmes stories, or read my Western stories, which are also excellent, and. Um, you know, tell me how much they love them. And uh, that's that's what means things, you know, the, the important thing to me. And then they always get another book because it's like they said, well, what else have you written? What else is coming mm-hmm. out? And they, and they want to try something. They said, oh, I'll try a Western. You know, I, I never read a Western. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people don't read Westerns anymore. No, um, it's market's mine, dead, basically. Mine, mine, I, uh, mine uh, West Texas War is a, is a novel and there's uh, six or, or seven stories uh, in that, and they're pretty hard boiled. If you like, if you like hard boiled, you would like mm-hmm. those because there's a there's a connection between the western and the hard boiled private eye Absolutely. kind of cool. tech story. Well, west uh, West Western stories are very popular over here in uh, small books. Uh-huh. Oh. They still have uh, German Germans love westerns. Yes, of course. It's it's, it's it, there. There's if there's one truth in the universe that I know, it's that Germans love westerns. <laughs> Yeah, see, the traditional, traditional Western story here has kind of died out, and it's been replaced by a more historical frontier kind of, uh, you know, uh, kind of, uh, you know, different kind of novel, I guess. Uh, not, not the same kind of thing. It's similar, but it's not exactly the same. I don't know how many series are running here in Germany, but I'm sure there are about uh, three different publishers that have uh, small small books with Western stories, and they all have uh, hard hard dudes on the cover with lots of boobs and and uh, <laughs> guns and fights, and this is still the the good old stuff, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we we have a market here. <laughs> I mean, I like I like a lot of that stuff, and 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 some of it. Even the traditional stuff is is very hard boiled. It's really interesting historical aspects of things that went on in certain time periods in the West and certain places. So the American West is really, or the frontier is, you know, what what frontier are you talking about? Because if you're talking about Tombstone, Arizona, and Wyatt Earp, you're talking 1880s in Arizona. But if you're talking uh, the frontier, you could be talking, you know, Albany in upstate New York in 1790 and 1800. So there's, you know, a whole 
basically a hundred years. And then there's a later West, 1920, in the 20s, when, you know, yeah. uh, the horse was making way for the, for the car. And, um, you know, things were really changing, you know, uh, kind of like the, in, in the, the movie The Wild Bunch, where everything's, you know, for these outlaws is totally changing from what they knew when they were younger. So there's a yeah, it's a western with with Tommy guns, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean there's a, there's a west, you know. There's a whole different. Uh, there's depends what west you're talking about, where where it is, and 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 the, and the year because uh, different things were going on at different times. Um, I, I love the the mashup of all the different things that you know happen. If you go to Japan, right, they have their westerns too. Yeah, uh, Akira Kurosawa's uh, stories are all westerns, and they're even you know referenced as such. Yeah, uh, and then turned into westerns. It's all interconnected. Uh, I mean, High Noon, uh, which I think is a pretty damn good movie. Yeah. Uh, sorry, not High Noon. Um, <laughs> what's the one in High Noon in Space with uh, <laughs> with uh, Sean oh. Connery? Uh, no. Outland. 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 Oh. Yeah. yeah. Outland. So that's High Noon in Space. Yeah. It's a western, right? It's it's a science fiction western, but there are connections between most of these uh, these things. And um, uh, there's a pretty damn good book uh, from a few years ago uh, called Alter- Altered Carbon. By Richard oh, yeah, Morgan. That's excellent. Uh, it's 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 basically noir-ish, but more, I would say because it's it's got sequels, it's it's more hard-boiled than anything that else. But first, he, I think that was, that was the first one in the series. Yeah, first in a uh, first of three, and he is a he is a big fan of of the sort of the take it to the limit um, and then a little past uh, kind of writing and. It's just so refreshing to see, you know, people can still write this stuff. Well, I like and, I like that stuff, and this is, you know, um, it's actually fairly similar. I mean, it uses kind of similar ideas to Mars Needs books, uh-huh. and it it's got doesn't have yours doesn't have body swapping, but it certainly has mind um, mind yeah. alteration. Yeah, but there's no violence in my book, really. I no, mean, there, it's there is at the end. Oh, well, yes, some torture and such. Or which, Mike is tortured to death. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's another thing I wanted to to, to uh, bring forth is that you you cannot fight and win against a totalitarian government by you know by guns. You can't outgun mm-hmm. them. They're always going to outgun you. You've got to outsmart them. You've got to subvert them. You have to, uh, and that's why you know when. When the people come out to Mars, everything's like totally different. You know, they have a national anthem. She says, they're not supposed to have a national anthem. What the heck's going on here? And, you know, this whole I, thought, I, I was wondering what it was going to be. And then when it was, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> he went there. <laughs> that was just hilarious. <laughs> uh, you know, there's all these things going on. And and, and they have all the, the books. And, you know, he, he he calls her up and he says, "You want he wants to come over. And why do you want to come over? And. You know, of course, he's like she knows that he is probably the head of the underground on the planet, and he knows that she's probably the woman who is the leader of the Department of Control and the most dangerous person in the world. And she's come out to Mars for what? And he wants to come and and see her and trade paperbacks and talk books. <laughs> and it's <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's kind of. Just trying to feel each other out and see what's 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 what. I was I was thinking, uh, you know, there's a Prometheus Award, which is a science fiction libertarian uh, yeah. book. I, I figured yours, your Mars Need books would have been uh, nominated or I'd, would have won that. Um, I don't think they nobody knows about they, it. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows about it because it's. I mean, I'm not I'm not a uh, uh, libertarian. But I recognize libertarian uh, I, motifs. You know, they, yeah. they. I, I think they gave it to um, to uh, that that Heinlein book you mentioned. Um, well, I know F. Book. Wilson has won it. I think for uh, oh, I can't remember the name, the book. Uh, L. Neil Smith won it. Uh, you, you know, these are year, this is years ago. Going, yeah. I'm going back. I mean, the the national anthem on it, on its own, used as a national anthem, 
Uh, I never thought of that song that what uh, that way, but actually, you know that that sounds about right. It's I almost that, a little. I love that song. And oh yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It says, "What song? What song would they use?" I mean, these mm-hmm. cantankerous, crazy, you know, uh, in the very individualistic people that they're all a little nuts and they're all very different. But you know what? They all say that's okay. You know, mm-hmm. just everybody behave, be nice to each other, treat each other right. And, you know, go go your own way, sort of. Mm-hmm. I'm still thinking about Marsney's books. And, uh, yeah, you know, this, uh, I recommend it. Everybody should read it because it's it's full of ideas. It's it's world, build, it's world building. It's uh, info uh, dropping. It's great. It's all uh, good science fiction needs. Right? And uh, I want, what I want is to go through it again and, and write down some of the names of those books that sounded, you know, yeah, so good. Yeah. Um, um, so I haven't read some of those, and I'd like to. <laughs> yeah, and uh, one should go on uh, griffinbooks.com to uh, just look what Gary's written, and also to look uh, to, to look at the beautiful covers that you can mm. see there. They're very good. I really love them. Yeah, yeah. most most uh, of the on the books on my website uh, www.griffinbooks.com. G-R-Y-P-H-O-N-B-O-O-K-S dot com are available, but we got hit hard by Hurricane Sandy, and a lot of the, the books and a lot of the books I had were uh, destroyed, unfortunately. Oh, no. Hurricane. We had over six feet of water, and uh, so it's uh, we're still recovering and rebuilding. Oh, man. A few things were salvaged, but not everything is, is available. Luckily, like the books that I do for Wild Side Press, which is Mars Needs Books and some of the others we talked about, and uh-huh. so Ramble House and Airship 27, they're print-on-demand books and uh, Audible books. So those are, I was able to, uh, you know, uh, purchase replacement copies. But a lot of the books that I've published for the last 30 years under Gryphon Books, uh, as well as uh, the magazines, the back issues of Paperback Parade and Hardboard, a lot of that stuff's lost and, and gone. Oh, no. So it's, uh, that's kind of sad. I mean, I had, I had a person who uh, just wanted to order 20, 20 back issues of Paperback Parade. I had to tell him, sorry, they're all gone. Oh, what about, what about uh, I mean, we, we did talk about ebooks a little bit, but uh, yeah. I mean, this is the one saving grace of ebooks, I think, is that they're. They're easily replicable, right? You can, yeah. you you don't have to physically store them, right? So that's, um, the, that's the print-on-demand books, which is that's great because then I could just, you know, get those replaced or the uh, uh, audio books, which are out there also. That's that's great to have them. Um, the books that I did earlier were hard copy, and unfortunately, that is the one problem with hard copy is fire and water the two elements mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know and especially water water is really uh i'm i i'm one other thing that you know i i was finding unbelievable throughout the whole uh mars needs books is i was thinking this is 150 years from now and that paperback is still in readable condition most of the paperbacks i've got from 40 years ago are totally broken right they're just falling apart now you explain how that happens well, his, uh, his how, how they're preserved yeah yeah but um it, it's it, it, these the paperbacks of that era and maybe even today are not designed to last very long and and that is w- one of the things that makes them so collectible is yeah. that people disposed of them like like old Kleenex, you know. They go through it and they chuck it. Well, the ones um, from the 40s and 50s, they were 25 cents. And you basically, you read them and you throw them away. Nobody right, yes. kept, nobody actually kept them. The, the only people that kept them, in, in, and I, I've read in science fiction fanzines in the 50, from the 50s, were science fiction collectors who actually read them and, and, and saved them. And one of the books that they, the first books that was actually probably a science fiction collectible was the Jack Vance um, Dying Earth book put out by Hillman in, I think, 1950, which was a collection of his stories um, of the Dying Earth. And um, that 
was collected and saved by, by readers. There's even uh, letters and some fanzines that I read where they talk about, you know, I'm saving this book. I'm going to, you know, this is going in my collection, you know, with the hard covers and, you know, that. And uh, I think I think even Robert Silverberg uh, mentioned something about that. Um, but that was one of the, that was, so that's 1950, and, and people were starting to collect paperbacks. And, of course, the Dell Mapbacks are really beautiful books in the early pocketbooks. So, so some of these books, you know, they were just really, very, the early ones were really nicely done, and they value for the money. They were beautiful, uh, quality paper. And then the later ones, of course, uh, publishers got cheaper and cheaper. They tried to keep the 25-cent price, so they, they cheapened the product. They used pulp paper, uh, mm-hmm. you know, age is really quick, and... Uh, yeah, they weren't meant. They weren't meant to last. But even even paperbacks from the seventies and eighties aren't meant aren't meant to last. Really, I mean, you read them and you know, then you give them to Goodwill or something or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, you give them to the library and then the library either keeps them or throws them out. We have a library over here that just throws out books. I can't, I can't believe yeah. it. It's the worst thing. <laughs> it, 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 the booksellers who are still around either yeah. uh, either have. Cl- clean aisles <laughs> and they throw away books or they have jam-packed aisles and then they have to refuse to take books. Yeah, yes. Yeah. There's, there's no uh, I mean, I could happy do a, middle ground. I could do an hour on, on books on, on bookstores and libraries that just books. I mean, there was a yeah. bookstore here in Brooklyn that the guy used to gouge out the, the old price, the 25 cent price, uh, because he was selling them for a dollar. And I right. go, why do you gouge out the price? You're destroying... The product you're destroying the yeah. book, you know he gouge it. He because he's, he's in business. He's not a books. He, he he's and not I, a bookseller. He's just a seller. Yeah, and I say I know you're not charging twenty five cents. I don't expect you know. I know I know it says twenty five cents, but you don't have to destroy the book to, you know, stamp all over it, stamp on the cover, stamp in the inside. Every why do you stamp five times, ten times in the book? I mean, you know, it's, it's so it's so weird what what people do, you know. Yeah. But it's interesting. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's always, there was a guy who, who uh, a friend of mine bought a, a sex book collection from a, from a fellow, and the guy had all the pages turned down for the good parts. Oh. <laughs> bookmark, buddy, bookmark. Yeah, dog-eared the pages where all the good parts were. It's, fu- it's funny what people do. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.